we pray, um, I'm going to ask Durell to come up, and he's going to, uh, he's going to lead us in a Veterans Day um, speaking time. And so we're, we're always thankful to have Durell come up and speak from his heart on what it means to be a veteran and what it means to, to love veterans and all the things that go into that. So we're thankful for him. So I'm going to ask uh, if Benji Alexander would say a prayer for us, and then Durell, you come forward, and uh, we'll have that time together. It's always an honor for me be, to be able to get in front of you at this uh, time of the year. Needless to say, it's always a special uh, time of the year for me. And uh, we started off our celebrations in Heard County yesterday uh, at Central Hatchet. This is the, we decided to go ahead and have our Veterans Day program. It was well attended. Uh, we had a good speaker. Uh, I had a small part in that yesterday. But it's just, uh, uh, I can't express to you uh, as being a veteran, and, and all, all of you know how dear it is to me because anytime you see me, I'm wearing a veteran's hat. It doesn't matter where, what, or when. About the only time I don't have a hat on my head is when I'm inside this building. The uh, rest of the time, you'll see a hat on my head. But uh, veterans are not being recognized enough today as they should. I'm not going to be quoting any statistics or anything like that. Just about all the World War II veterans are gone. Just about all the Korean veterans are gone. It's us Vietnam veterans that are coming along now. And uh, we're passing away 10 to 20,000 a day over the United States. Uh, from the various health issues that uh, we encountered uh, uh, in Vietnam. Uh, most of them are from the Agent Orange that many of you have heard about. But uh, a lot of us seem to be going in our late 60s and early 70s. Uh, so it's a, it's a most important time 
that, that I want all of you just to be aware of is Veterans Day is this Wednesday. And you want to talk about making somebody's day. Not all veterans wear a hat recognizing that they are a veteran. But anytime you're in a grocery store, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, any eating establishment, if you want to make a veteran feel great inside and have that little funny feeling in your stomach when, like all of us do sometimes when we're thrilled about something, you walk up to that veteran and all you've got to say to him is just, I want to just thank you for your service. That's all you got to say. You can turn and walk away. You don't have to wait for a response or nothing. And you talking about goosebumps popping up in somebody? And let me tell you this. I tell a lot of veterans that. Those same goosebumps will pop up inside your stomach. It will make you feel good. So what I challenge you this next year is, wherever you are and you see a veteran's hat on the top of a man or woman's head, or you see a lapel on their shirt or jacket that says that I am a veteran, thank them for their service. That's all you've got to say. Doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter what part they served in, they're still a veteran. And I challenge you to do that for the rest of this year and 2021. Thank you. Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing Surely the Presence of the Lord is in this place, but the second song we're singing is The Old Rugged Cross, and I don't usually do this, but I just wanted to read you the words of the second verse before we start worship today, because it just needs to be read. It says, Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see, for it was on the old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. We stand this morning as we worship.
This week, if there's one thing I've been reminded of, it's to cling to the old rugged cross, God. Lord, it's that you are in control of everything, God. Nothing catches you off guard, Lord. And ultimately, you have sent the lamb. You have sent our sacrifice, God. And Lord, we serve one ruler, and that is you, God. And Lord, this week, um, I just pray that you intentionally put veterans in our pathway, God. And I pray that you make us uh, just well aware of who those men and women are, God, and just show us just ways to be grateful and to serve them this week, God. Lord, I pray for um, just students who are going to be in schools, God, who every year get this wonderful reminder of veterans, Lord, and, and usually have the opportunity to thank veterans in person, God. But, Lord, I know we're doing a virtual Veterans Day, God, but I just pray that we can encourage those students, even though they're not going to get to see Veterans Wednesday, to go out and thank a veteran, God. And Lord, I just pray that these um, that we're just teaching people to be grateful, God. Lord, especially as, as we're in the month um, of November where we're supposed to be reminding and reflecting on our blessings, God. May the bad and may the negativity not outweigh the positivity and the blessings, God, that you're surrounding us with in our life, God. Lord, in a, in a dark world, God, there is still a light. And, God, as we were reminded last week, that light's to be shining from us, Lord. So, God, I know there's been times this last week that I've not shined my light very well, God. And I pray that you forgive me for that. And I thank you for still just finding me able to shine that light, God, and, and giving me that responsibility, God, knowing that I'll fall short, Lord. I pray that this week you'll, you'll allow us to be light in a dark world, God. Lord, to, to add salt in the best of ways, God, where we need favor and preservation of what is good. Lord, I just pray that you be with us as we continue to worship this morning as a time of study. I pray that you remind our hearts just of all the ways that we need to be worshiping you, God. Lord, I pray that we don't hear Bryson speaking, but that you speak directly through Bryson to us this morning, God. Lord, I just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we'll see. Hopefully this thing will work. I know that it's sometimes weird. Um, all right, like I, uh, well, like I said earlier, I got a call from Neil uh, Friday afternoon. And uh, for those of you who have ever prepared a message, that's not a whole lot of time. Um, and when he first told me that uh, he wasn't going to be here, um, you know, I, I immediately started thinking about some different passages and different things, and I knew that I probably wouldn't have time to uh, prepare for Habakkuk. Um, it's not a, a book that I know well, 
uh, not as well as I should. So as I was praying and seeking, I spent a good chunk of time on Saturday, yesterday, um, in the morning, just praying that the Lord would, would, would give us what he would want us to hear this morning. And uh, um, it's amazing whenever you go to the Lord in prayer, how he answers your prayers. And I, I called my dad and had him um, pray for me as well. And I, I called uh, Gina Bledsoe, and uh, I, she, I always know that she's praying, and I asked her to pray as well. And there's the, the thought that came to my mind was refocus. Um, refocus is what came to my mind and, and eventually came out in, in a passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7? Uh, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It's the very last section of Luke chapter 7. Now, in order for us to truly understand all that's happening in this passage, we need to paint a little picture of what it looks like leading up to this encounter. And so what I want us to do really quickly, if you'll bear with me, we're going to quickly take a journey through the last few chapters to lead us to this moment. Um, oftentimes, I don't know if you do this or not, oftentimes within a passage you'll see that it'll say Jesus was speaking to the crowds. Or there was a crowd that was following Jesus. And a lot of times I, um, I read that and don't really um, put a lot of thought into the crowd, right? You think, well, Jesus is speaking, of course there's a crowd. Like he heals, of course there's a crowd. But as I read this and as I kind of dug into some different uh, commentaries and stuff about this section, it's important for us to realize that that crowd is made up of individuals. You know, I think a lot of times we, as a, as a people, really struggle with, with the idea of generalizing. <laughs> we like to take one person and apply them to a whole group, or take a whole group and apply that to one person, and we don't think about the individuals in those crowds. We don't think about that, that each person was there listening to Jesus for a specific reason and for a specific person, now, a purpose. We don't know what that reason or purpose may be. But what we do know is those crowds are made up of individual people, individual souls. Each of us is here this morning for some reason. God only knows the exact reason of why you're here this morning, but I believe that the reason is, is, is his reason for you being here. And so as we look at just a few short uh, verses in, 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 the, in the chapters leading up to chapter 7, I just want us to see all the times that Jesus was speaking to a crowd. So chapter 5, verse 1 says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Chapter 5, verse 15, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Chapter 6, verse 17, A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea. Uh, chapter 6, verse 27, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. To those who are listening. Chapter 7, verse 9, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him. Chapter 7, verse 11, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So as you can see, Jesus draws a crowd. Right? Wherever he goes, Jesus draws a crowd, but that crowd is made up of what? Individuals. And so as we lead ourselves to chapter 7, verse 36, remember those individuals that had listened to Jesus speak on forgiveness of sin, that had listened to Jesus speak on a new life, 
that had listened to Jesus speak on an eternal kingdom, who had, who had seen Jesus heal those who seemed unhealable and save those who seemed unsavable. And so as we can see, there's these large crowds of individuals, and, and, and as we enter into this section of Scripture, we need to remember that those crowds are made of individuals. So chapter, 30, I mean, chapter 7, verse 36 and following says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, if you've read any of the Gospels before, you know that we never really know the, the motive behind why a Pharisee invites Jesus anywhere. <laughs> Most of the time it's not, hey, because I like him. All right. Most time it's not, hey, you know, I really want to. It could be, I'm not trying to judge all Pharisees, but many times we see their intentions are not good in terms of their invitations to Jesus, but Jesus accepts anyway. In verse 37, it says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little." Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even, more, who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, I, uh, I pray this morning that we would be completely and utterly focused on you. Lord, blot out, our, out of our minds, Lord, the distractions of, of work or the distractions of school or the distractions of what's for lunch or whatever distraction may be for us this morning. Lord, and allow us to completely focus on you and what you would have for us to hear and what you would have for us to do in response to this, this, this passage this morning, Lord. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. The reason for worship. That is what we're going to look at this morning. The reason for worship. And so as we begin this first section, the, the, the first thing I want us to see is that allow us to see the worship of the forgiven. What does it look like to be worshipful in your forgiveness? So as we insert ourselves into this scene, we see a silence come over the crowd as a woman, known as a sinful woman, right, comes to the feet of Jesus. Could you imagine 
if those around you described you by your sin. Now, we all know, right, that we're all sinners. It says that in the Bible. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But imagine living in a town and living in a day and age when somebody saw you and the first thing that they thought of was your sin. The first thing that they, the first adjective that came to mind when they described you was sinner, right? The first, imagine walking down and saying, well, there's, there's the sinner Bryson. That is not what, how I would want to be described, but this woman is known for her sin in and around this town. And honestly, sinful woman would probably be a pretty tamed way of describing how people referred to her. It, it, that would have been the, the most tamed way of, of, them, of them describing who this woman was. So, of course, we all have sin, but this woman is known for her sin. She was described with sin being on people's minds. Her sin preceded even her name. That is how people viewed this woman. But as we insert ourselves into this dinner party, we, we, would, we would know and understand that this dinner party was made up of who? The Pharisees, right? The religious leaders. It was made up of the, the well-known people in, in society, right? The, the ones who go about and, and uh, think that they're, they're great and wonderful. <laughs> and they, they think they're above everyone else. And uh, of course, she was not invited to this dinner party. But often these high society groups would leave the gate open so that peasants could come in and, and, and venture in and see how the better half lived. They would leave the gates open so they could come and get the scraps of what it is that they were eating, right? And so this woman takes this opportunity to come in to the dinner party. So as we, as we, see G, as we, so as we begin to see this picture unfold, we can imagine the silence that fell over the room as this woman bends down to the feet of Jesus and begins to sob uncontrollably. Now, we're not talking about a small stream of tears, right? We're not talking about that, like, that little one that kind of gets in the corner of your eye and then kind of rolls down your cheek. You know, we're not talking about like the movie you know, where, the, where the girl has like the perfect little tear that falls down her cheek. No, this is like an, uh, what, I would, what I would say is an ugly cry. We've all had those before at some point in our lives, whether from, from joy or sadness, right? We've all had the snot, you know, the snot cries where you, you just can't like hold it in. You, you get the, sometimes people get the wheezing, right, where they're trying to keep themselves from crying, but they can't help but cry. I think about mascara running and, 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 and all the, the nastiness that goes into all of that, right? And and as we look at this and we see that within this, this woman, this is the way in which she's, she's crying at the feet of Jesus. This is that cry that you only have when you're in your room all alone. This is that cry that you want to hide from, from everyone that, that knows you. And, and you wonder what they may think when, when, when it comes out. This is the cry that I heard my dad having by himself the day before my sister got married. He's not going to like it later when, I, when he listens to this and heard that I say that, but I walked down and heard him crying in his room, and I just I turned around. I was, I was out of there. This woman had no regards for the feelings or the thoughts of those around, but simply she was focused on, on who? On Jesus. So next she begins to let down her hair and wipe his feet with her hair. She begins to kiss 
kiss his feet, and she begins to humbly pour out probably the most expensive thing that she owned, which was that alabaster jar of perfume. She pours it on the feet of Jesus. She kisses his feet. She's, she, she's overwhelmed and, 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 and can't seem to focus on anything else but the feet of Jesus. Why would someone do such a thing? I think about that as I read this. What on earth could push somebody to cry on and wipe and kiss and pour out perfume on the feet of someone? It's because this woman... No matter what crowd she may have been a part of, no matter what place she may have been in Jesus' ministry, had experienced what it means to, to be convicted of sin, to be repentant of sin, and to be forgiven of sin. And so she has no other choice but to worship the feet of her Savior. This woman had come to the realization of her sin and it had created in her not only repentance but overwhelming gratitude to Jesus for what he had done. Think about this woman who every night went to bed probably feeling pretty bad about what she'd spent the day doing. Right? Described as a sinner and she comes before a savior, comes before a person who says, "Listen, even though you've lived this way, you can be made new." Even though you live this way, your sin can be forgiven. Even though you've lived this way, that can be forgotten and you can have new life. And what is her response is, I need to find the feet of him. She knew what the crowd would think of her. She knew that she wasn't welcomed by them. them. She knew that they wouldn't want her there, but she also knew that she didn't care. She must worship the one from whom she had received new life. The gospel of Jesus Christ pushes people to repentance and joy. It pushes people to worship. You want to know what it looks like to worship out of a knowledge of how badly you needed forgiveness. This is that picture. With once seductive eyes, she cries at his feet. With once seductive lips, she kisses the feet of her Savior. Jesus had transformed her life in a way in which there is no other thing to do but to worship him and him alone. As I read this, what came to me was Bryson. When was the last time... You wept at my feet. Bryson, when was the last time you recognized how badly you needed my forgiveness? And when's the last time it drove you to this type of intimate worship of me? Think about the intimacy that she had with Jesus at this point. As she thought of him and him alone. Think about the raw intensity of her worship. In knowing her great need, but knowing his even greater grace. Often I feel as if we think of Jesus as someone who's far away. But he says, draw close to me. Right? He says, I put my spirit within you. He says, come to me, those who are weary. Jesus is not far away, but he's right there waiting for us to approach him and to be at his feet. When is the last time 
that I so recognized all that I've been forgiven that I could not help but to worship him. I think too often our worship of Jesus is focused on man and man's desires rather than God and God's desires. We have a a, a Martha complex where we are more focused on making things look good than on the one for whom we worship. A great quote by uh, C.S. Lewis um, says this, the perfect church service, the perfect church service would be one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would would have been on God, but every novelty prevents this. It fixes our attention on the service itself, and thinking about worship is a different thing than worshiping. It's mad idolatry that makes the service greater than the God. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean as worshipers of Jesus Christ? It means that as, as, as staff of this church, it means as, as people of this church, as deacons of this church, our goal should be when people get in the car, they don't say, man, how great was that service. They say, man, how great is our God? Our lives should be lived out in a way that people say, you know, Bryson's really great. He's a good person. They say that Bryson recognizes how much he needs Jesus and I want to know him. Right, my, work, my, my life should be so focused on Jesus that when I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to get at his feet and praise him because every day I am forgiven. Imagine a God who knows the very worst parts of you. He knows the sin that no one else does. He knows the struggles that no one else does. He knows the, the unfaithfulness and, and, the, and the fear and the anxiety that no one else does. And he sent his son anyway to die so that that sin could be forgiven. Imagine that for a second. What Doesn't that lead us? Doesn't that urge us? Doesn't that spur us to worship? We need to refocus. We need to refocus on the king. We need to refocus on the one that's on the throne eternally. We need to refocus and realign ourselves with the will of God because if you want to live a life that's worthy of the calling of him, it has to be in line and refocused on him and his glory alone. This woman had a sinful life, but guess what? She was refocused. Refocused on the Savior. Refocused on new life. Refocused on the worship that must come when we recognize how badly we needed to be forgiven. Imagine the heart of a God that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How greatly he is to be praised. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Psalm 145.1, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Romans 12.1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our worship for Jesus is not limited to this building. It's not limited to Sunday. It's not even limited to singing, right? He, he will show us ways in which to worship him, and we ought to do it daily. Right, humble yourself daily and follow me. If 
the heart of the forgiven is a heart of worship. And this woman recognized that. She says, I don't know how else to worship. So I'm just going to cry at the feet of Jesus. If we would make it that simple. Secondly, we now take a turn in the story towards the Pharisees. So secondly, we're going to look at the pride of the unforgiving. The pride of the unforgiving. We, we, we take this turn and all of a sudden the focus kind of shifts to Simon, who was the Pharisee that invited Jesus to his house. And we can tell from the very beginning that we aren't really sure of the intentions of, of, of Simon at this point. Some tend to believe that he was truly in, interested in who Jesus was. Some tend to believe that, that he, this was simply a, a trap to see if he could Jesus, get Jesus to do something wrong, right, so he could trap him. And others believe that it was a way in which to boost his publicity. <laughs> you know, I got Jesus at my house. Come, over, come on over for the party. Whatever the reason was, Jesus accepted his invitation. And entering the house, we see this outcast enter into the crowd. And so in verse 39, we see Simon it says, when the, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, now, all right, he's speaking this within his own heart, within his own mind. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So within his heart, Simon has decided that Jesus can't be who he claims to be and can't be who others claim for him to be, Simply because no godly person would ever associate with her. If it was up to Simon, this woman would never have made it through the front door. If it was up to Simon, she never would have reached the feet of Jesus. If it was up to Simon, he would go and have a talk with those guards at the front, wondering why she even made it through. If it was up to Simon. How dare she act that way? How dare she enter into our house? How dare, she, how dare she be so vulnerable? How dare she be so true? How dare she be so upset? How dare she do this in front of us? And Jesus, knowing the heart of Simon, tells Simon a parable. Now, I love the fact that Simon says that Jesus cannot be a prophet because of what he would have done. And then, and then Jesus answered Simon's heart. Right? Simon didn't even say this out loud. And Jesus says, you don't think I'm a prophet? I'll tell you what you were thinking. I love the way that Jesus shows his authority. And so he says, Simon, I have, a, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, probably thinking that this is going to be something that goes along with his thinking. And, and he says, two people owed money, one 500, one 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which one will love him more? And now Simon recognizes what the answer is. Right, and reluctantly, he answers. He says, I suppose, right, like he doesn't know the answer. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He said, listen, those who recognize how badly they need us are the ones who are forgiven the most because they know how much they have to be forgiven. Jesus is attempting to bring Simon to the realization that those who truly understand their sin are those who truly understand their forgiveness and those who truly worship. Jesus loves the bad people who turn good rather than those who claim to be good already. And then Jesus asks Simon a question. He says, do you see this woman? 
Now, I believe that question goes deeper than the eyes. I believe Jesus is asking, Simon, do you see this woman in the way that I see her? Simon, do you see this woman in in, in the way that she's been transformed? Simon, do you see this woman in the way that she worships? Simon, do you see this woman in the way that she, unlike you, kissed my feet? That she, unlike you, anointed me with oil? When she, unlike you, wept at my feet, when she, unlike you, wiped my feet, do you see all the ways in which she worshiped and you did not? Do you see the change in this woman? I remember when I got glasses for the first time. And, uh, you know, I didn't know I needed glasses. I was like in third grade. And uh, I think it was something to do with the board at school that made me realize I needed them. But anyway, I went to the doctor and uh, they were like, yes, you need them, you know, so... Um, I got glasses, and I remember on my way home from, from getting my first pair of glasses, I recognized that there was actually writing on street signs. I was like, I didn't know that. I thought they were just red signs. You know, I, saw, I saw, thought a stop sign was a red sign with some white lettering on it. I didn't know that it actually had words. And I remember looking at the, that the, like the big billboards and thinking, well, there's actually stuff up there, not just a jumbled mess. right? I, looked at, I remember looking at trees and saying, there's leaves on those. Right? It's not just a big green thing. And so what was it within me? It, I didn't realize until someone told me how bad my vision was. I didn't realize that I, I couldn't see well until someone showed me how bad my vision was. And do you really see who this woman is? I think, I think what he's trying to tell him is like, you need your vision fixed. If you were to see through my lens of forgiveness, my lens of grace, my lens of faith, you would see who this woman is, not who you think she is. The pride of the unforgiving sees no need for forgiveness of themselves and no way of forgiveness for others. Do you realize that this woman has been made new? Many times in life, we see people only for who they once were rather than who Jesus has made them. We see, we see people only for what they've once done rather than what Jesus can do through them. Imagine if people saw Paul the same way. No, I can't, I can't follow Paul. Right? Paul killed Christians. Paul persecuted the church. You know what else Paul did? Paul recognized his need for forgiveness and he was made new. And now Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Imagine people who said, I can only see Paul for what, who he once was rather than who he is. Imagine Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Imagine if the other disciples said, no, we don't really want you speaking, right? You, I don't think you should be the one to speak at Pentecost, I don't think you should be the, the, the mouth and the rock of the church. Imagine if they only thought of, of, of who, who Peter once was rather than who Jesus had forgiven and made Peter into. Imagine if people thought of you only through the lens of who you once were, not who Jesus has made you. The pride of the unforgiving blurs our vision in terms of our ability to not only see our own need for a Savior, but our ability to see the way that Jesus can save a sinner. Luke 9, verses uh, 9 through um, Luke 9, verses 9 through 14 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector who's praying right over here. I added that, by the way. Don't, that's not in there. Verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Man, what a prayer. Completely focused on him. Verse 13 says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our focus must be on the forgiver. Our focus must be on the Savior. When we put ourselves at the feet of Jesus, then we can see the way that Jesus not only forgives us, but the way that he can forgive those in your life who you think are the very worst. Those who you look at and say, those are the unforgivable, I'm here to tell you that Jesus, we're going to talk about this in a minute, Jesus has authority to forgive their sins the same way that he has authority to forgive yours. And so let's not leave here this morning thinking on social media as we hop on Facebook Let's not think, well, I'm glad I'm not that person. There's no way that Jesus can forgive them. Let's not go down the street and see the person and, and say, I can't, I'm, I'm glad I'm not that person. Be, be thankful for who Jesus has turned you into and be praying that Jesus does that same work in their life. I've always been a good person. I come from a good family. I grew up in church. I'm from the good part of town. All lies that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about who we are. But I'm here to tell you that here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That ought to be our heart. That ought to be our daily reminder that we need to get at the feet of Jesus and praise him. I am the worst of sinners. But Jesus saved me anyway. Simon, do you see this woman? Bryson, do you see this woman? Church, do you see these people who are in so desperate need of the same grace that I gave to you? Do you see them the way that I see them? Once Jesus was coming across the lake, and when he came across, he saw a group of people waiting on him, and it said, that Jesus saw them and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There are a lot of sheep that do not recognize their shepherd. Do we see them with compassion the way that Jesus does? We must rid ourselves of the pride of the unforgiving. Lastly, the authority of Jesus' forgiveness. The authority of Jesus' forgiveness. So we end our time together tonight with the incredible truth that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. He has authority. It's been given to him from heaven, right? The, the, the Father has given him all the authority that he needs to forgive those of this earth. But of course, as, as always happens, when Jesus mentions your sins are forgiven, it says in verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They question his authority to forgive. They question their... They question her ability to be, for, to be forgiven. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has authority to forgive sin and has finished the task of forgiving sins on the cross. 
One, one thing we're going to talk about tonight is we get too focused on the what ifs and not focused on en- enough on the for sures. We get too focused on the what ifs, what might happen, what could happen, instead of the for sures of what has happened. And one for sure that you can, you can stake in is the fact that Jesus went to the cross, died, was resurrected, ascended, and that means that you and her can be forgiven of sins. That authority has been given to Jesus. He has taken it to the cross, and it is done. And it is secure. And it's forever. Don't let the world tell you that your sin is unforgivable. Don't let the world tell you that you can't take that to Jesus. Don't let the world tell you that you can't take that to the church. We need to be a church that understands how much we've been forgiven so that we recognize how much others need that forgiveness. We must be this. Don't let the world lie to you and tell you that you don't need to be saved. That's pushed right now. You're all you need. I don't even want to think about the, 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 the awful husband I would be if I didn't have Jesus. I don't want to think about the awful son I'd be if I didn't have Jesus. I don't want to think about the awful father I'd be if I didn't have Jesus. I don't want, I don't want to think about the awful person that I would be if I did not have Jesus. But thank you, Lord, that you gave Jesus the victory and Jesus, the ability to forgive even the worst of sinners, that authority is secure. John 3.31 and following says, The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who's from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it, has certified that God is truthful. Mm. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. And the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We must come to realize that Jesus' authority has saved us, and that ought to push us to worship him and to worship him alone. Our worship of Jesus should be heart and soul driven. We do not worship because others tell us to. We do not worship because it's the social norm. We do not worship because somebody says this is what you have to. We worship because we understand and we know that we have been changed. That we've been forgiven. We must refocus and wake up every morning not with the thoughts of ourselves, not with the thoughts of 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 politics. Oh and not with the thoughts of work, and not with the thoughts of school, but with the thoughts of Jesus. Let him be the framework of the way that you think about all those other things. Those things are not to drive your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is to drive your relationship with everything else. And we do that by waking up each morning and recognizing our need to get at the feet of Jesus and worship. You don't have to be here to worship. You don't have to be in this building. This is to be the launching point for the rest of your week of worship and service to our Heavenly Father. I think about one of my favorite worship songs. It's, it's an older, well, it's not really old, but for, for me it is. I remember, I remember singing it whenever I was in, in, uh, in middle, elementary school and middle school, but the chorus goes, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. But it's all about you. Can't we get back to that? The heart of worship. Not what we have made worship into, but the heart of worship. Which is the joy, the overwhelming joy of understanding how much we've been forgiven. May that drive not only ourselves, but our relationships with others. So we're about to sing. And uh, honestly, I don't know what we're singing. So I'm not going to tell you. But I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And if you feel the need to come and worship at this altar, I pray that you will. If you need to talk to me, you can. Um, now, if you don't want to talk to me, I can, you can call Neil. That's fine. He's good to talk to. Um, but whatever you need to do, let's refocus ourselves as we leave today on, on, on the forgiver, on the Savior, on the one who, who stands the test of time, on the one who is, who is forever. Let's focus on him as we sing and end this service. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, I am I'm grateful, Lord, for this passage. Lord, I'm thankful for the way in which it speaks to not only our, this woman's need and, and, and this Pharisee's need, but our need. Lord, I, um, I find myself often being the, having the pride of the unforgiving. Lord, I see myself telling you who you can and cannot save, Lord. I pray that you would break that within us. Lord, allow us not to put you in a box of who it is that you can save and how it is that you can work, Lord, but that we be humble, worshipful, worshipful servants of you, Lord, and know you saved me, then you can save whoever you want. Lord, I pray that you would drive us, drive us back to be a people of sorrowful, but also of joyful worship. Lord, that we wake up every morning recognizing both that we needed your saving, but that you, that you did save us. Lord, that you would humble us, but you would lift us up. Lord, I love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus.
Amen. Um, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I pray that, that we remember that as we go out this week into the world, into our jobs, into our homes. Those who are forgiven much, love much. We will have a Sunday school um, at 10. I don't know what time it is. I may have gone past. Um, and there's also tonight, 6 o'clock, adult and students. So uh, if you'll lead us as we uh, sing our benediction. We're going to sing the doxology to end out today. And I don't think I put that in the computer, but we know the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. I should have known Miss Tammy would get it up there fast. Y'all have a great day. Don't forget to come back this evening.